Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth with each other, and with a divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Hi, I'm Ron Young. I live in Everett, Washington, grew up in New Jersey. I'm here at Holden Village. I've finished a memoir, the title of which is Crossing Boundaries in the Americas, the Middle East, and Vietnam. And I've discovered that title when I, as I thought about my life experience, I realized that having experiences with people who were different than me was a big part of my life experience. When I remembered that, I I remembered growing up in New Jersey that when we would make a bus trip as a family across or underneath the Hudson River through the Lincoln Tunnel, I was always excited when we passed the border under the river, which is marked by very bright signs that say New Jersey and then say New York. And when we would cross, I know my sister and I got all excited. Oh, wow, you know, we crossed the boundary into New York. My most, probably my most important boundary crossing experience was when I was a junior, starting my junior year at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, thinking maybe after college I might want to go on to seminary, I asked a religion professor, I I wanted to take a year off from college, I was not an activist at the time, but I wanted to do something different than read and study and write papers at Wesleyan. So I asked a religion professor who was a friend if he had any ideas what I might do for a year. And he, he was from the South, he had been, he had done a lot and knew, personally knew Martin Luther King. He said to me, Ron, would you be interested maybe in working in a black church in Memphis, Tennessee? It was 1962. I was 20 years old. And I said in response, I guess so, which sounds like a funny response for a white guy to go off to Memphis, Tennessee in 1962. But literally, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I thought this sounded interesting. And indeed it was. I did this for a year and a half, came back actually in the summer of 64, and I was working with a pastor there whose name is Reverend Jim Lawson, who was one of the most important leaders in the civil rights movement and most important leaders in terms of training people in the, in the use of nonviolence and in the philosophy of nonviolence as a means of social change. So I worked with him for a whole year. And I lived in the black community in Memphis. Uh, white police in Memphis would occasionally stop me and, and sort of harass me, though they, they never beat me or anything like that, but they harassed me and said, hey, look, boy, you, you don't belong in this neighborhood. And, and I said, well, yes, I actually live here. And after a while, I think they tired of those uh, confrontations and just left me alone. So I lived and worked in the black community in Memphis, working mainly with young people, 
I hardly had any great stuff to teach, but I did know about some sports because I played sports and I had been a Boy Scout. And so those are the things I did with, with teenagers in Memphis. My second crossing boundaries experience was uh, several years later, I went to work for the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which is an old religious pacifist organization, started actually in World War I by a Lutheran pastor and a Quaker, a British Quaker and a Luther, German Lutheran pastor, who believed that the teachings of Jesus meant that they never could go to war against each other. So they started the Fellowship of Reconciliation. I was working for them, and I had opportunities during the Vietnam War to visit both in the south of Vietnam and the north. One of my trips to the north in December 1970 was to carry mail. This was a project of the peace movement. I carried mail, Christmas mail, from families of American POWs in Hanoi to the POWs in Hanoi and then carried it back. I met one of the POWs there and he told his fascinating story about the fact that he flew a fighter plane off a carrier in the South China Sea, and he had never been in Vietnam. He'd never been in Vietnam until one day his plane was shot down, and he was captured by Vietnamese, who then proceeded to argue with him, argue about what to do with him. Eventually, they wrapped his ankle, which was broken, and carried him down into a fallout shelter, and he stayed with the Vietnamese in the fallout shelter while B-52 bombers came came overhead. He said to me, you know, he said, I never experienced a B-52 raid from the ground before, and I never want to do it again, and nobody should have to go through that. My third experience was working in the Middle East, traveling for American, British, and Canadian Quakers to Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, Egypt, Syria, and Lebanon. And one of the times I took a delegation of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim leaders from the states to that area, including to Damascus, we were invited to meet George Habash. George Habash was then head of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, one of the sort of small Marxist radical groups, but also a group that had been responsible for terrible attacks, terrorist attacks on Israeli citizens. So when we went, as we were going to meet with him, well, first of all, we had to decide, do we want to meet with him? And we had one of the Jewish members of the group was a rabbi, so I asked the rabbi, Rabbi, should we go? And he said, well, he said, we've come this far, we might as well go all the way. And it was a difficult decision for him because I think it would have been very controversial in his congregation back in Los Angeles to know, for people to know that he had met George Habas, who was viewed in a certain sense as a Palestinian monster. So we went to meet, and, and Habash, said he had never met a delegation like this, and he wasn't going to do his typical talk about Palestinian liberation, but rather, he said, I'm sure you have questions for me, so why don't you just ask me questions? And then he took the rabbi by the arm, sat next to him, and said, Rabbi, why don't you begin by asking questions? And I thought, my goodness, what an unusual circumstance. And the rabbi said, well, you know, I do have many questions, and I'm sure some of them would have been pretty hostile, but instead, what he said was, Dr. Hamash, I have many questions, but what I'd really like to begin by asking you is tell us something about your life. And so here's Dr. Habash then telling about how in 1948, when Israel was being created, he was home from the, for the summer from medical school in Beirut, and his whole family was uprooted and pushed across the border in Lebanon as the Israeli army, or the Haganah at the time, cleared out Palestinians 
on the main route from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because they felt they had to have that as a sort of safe passage for Israel. So his whole family is uprooted. And as I learned later, though he didn't speak about this, one of his sisters died in the course of their exile and their refugee journey, which eventually wound up in Damascus. And I thought to myself, how did we manage in this sort of situation where easily we could have wound up screaming at each other? How did we manage? Well, it was a combination of Habash saying, I'm not going to give a speech, and inviting people to ask questions, and the rabbi having enough presence of mind to not ask a a hostile call, like, why do you kill Jewish children? Instead, asking, please tell us about your life. Those experiences that I had, and, and many others, I'm reminded of today partly because our country is in a situation where our tendency not to talk with each other when we disagree, and there's plenty of disagreement today around the elections and around the president and around policy issues, immigration and refugees and military, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's very easy to be dug in and angry at people with whom we disagree and very easy probably for them to be dug in and angry at us. And so I'm reminded of stories that help me to understand that part of the way we increase understanding and part of the way that we can possibly make progress toward bettering our country, bettering the world in a cooperative way is that we listen. There's a story, or not a story, a saying from a rabbi in something like 300 who said the reason we have two ears and only one mouth is that we need to listen twice as much as we should talk. So, So that's... To me, that's a very important lesson for today, and it's not always easy to listen. I'm sure it wasn't easy to, for the rabbi to listen to Dr. Habash or Habash to listen to the rabbi, but doing that, or, or for the pilot who's captured by the Vietnamese to realize he was being saved by the very people he was flying over and trying to kill. That, that quality, which has to be practiced, it has to be, and, and many times will fail, it has to be practiced and, and improved that quality of being able to listen to people with whom we disagree, I think is going to be one of the essential qualities for us as, as Americans to make progress in the world. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.